Hello, everybody. Welcome to Reorient Nation. This is our sixth episode. I'm Father Simeon. In our previous episode, a crossover episode of this podcast and the Christian Saints podcast, James John Marks and I discussed the holy Chinese martyrs of the Boxer Rebellion. Well, in a recent episode of the Chinese Saints podcast, they read a paper I had written on St. Innocent of Alaska, so I asked James John, who hosted that episode, and Dr. Darren Ong, who runs the podcast out of Malaysia, for me to use the recording of that podcast on this podcast, too. Reorient Nation is an East Meets East Meets West podcast. What does St. Innocent of Alaska have to do with the East and the West? Well, St. Innocent was Russian. The Russian territory spreads across northern Asia, north of China and Mongolia, to Alaska. If you think about it, North America and the U.S. state of Alaska is only separated by about 50 miles. And only by a couple miles if you count the small, close islands. Remember that Alaska was actually part of Russia until the United States bought the territory. You can see the geographic connection between the Eastern Orthodox country of Russia in Northern Asia and North America, especially the United States. But that's not the only reason I consider St. Innocent significant for the purposes of this podcast. In 1860, St. Innocent found himself in the same place as a young priest named Nikolai, or Nicholas, who was on his way to teach the Orthodox Christian way in Japan. St. Innocent encouraged his fellow Russian, St. Nicholas, to study the Japanese language and to translate the scripture for the Japanese people, to really understand Japanese culture. He also warned him about the difficulties ahead regarding his work. After some time passed, St. Innocent visited Japan and discovered that Father Nicholas had not been studying Japanese or the culture or teaching the Japanese people, but focused instead on caring for the Russian community in Japan, a community connected to the Russian embassy there. St. Innocent again encouraged Father Nicholas to study Japanese, which inspired the young priest to immerse himself in learning the language and culture of the people he had been called to reach. This young priest in Japan became the Bishop of Japan and is today known as Saint Nicholas, equal to the Apostles and Enlightener of Japan. You can visit his cathedral, Holy Resurrection Cathedral, called Nikolaido, in Tokyo today. As the Bishop of Japan, Saint Nicholas ordained a young man to be the first native Chinese Orthodox priest, at least that we know of, that Chinese priest is today known as the Hieromartyr or Priest Martyr Mitrophon of Beijing. The martyred priest of the 222 Chinese Orthodox Christians in Beijing killed in the year 1900 during the Boxer Rebellion. So you can see how the life of St. Innocent of Alaska relates in some ways to Eastern Orthodoxy, East Asia, and the West. So now I present to you the Christian Saints podcast episode on St. Innocent of Alaska. Thank you.
God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints podcast. My name is James John Marks, recording from Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. As always, I want to thank Dr. Darren for giving me this opportunity to guest host the podcast. Today we will be speaking about St. Innocent of Alaska, equal to the Apostles, an Enlightener of North America, who was commemorated on the date of his repose, March 31st, in the Episcopal Church USA within the Anglican tradition and in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. The title, Equal to the Apostles and Enlightener of North America, refers to the primary missionary activity of St. Innocent amongst the indigenous populations of Alaska, accounts of which place him firmly in the tradition of St. Patrick amongst the Irish, Saints Cyril and Methodius amongst the Slavs, and St. Nicholas amongst the Japanese. Frequent listeners to the podcast will recall a few weeks ago when we had the opportunity to interview Father Simeon Keyes, a priest of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Providentially, he has written an extensive paper entitled A Brief Biography of St. Innocent of Alaska, which contains references to many different underlying sources. This has saved us an enormous amount of research, and we will simply provide his paper here and indicate his bibliography in the show notes for your edification, should you choose to pursue them. On August 26, 1797, John Popov, known today as St. Innocent of Alaska, was born in Inguske, a small village in Irkutsk province of Russia. At six years of age, John's father died. Since the family, including his mother and three siblings, had found themselves in poverty following the death, young John lived with his uncle Dmitri, a local deacon. His uncle taught him to read and write using the Orlogian and Psalter. John's father had begun teaching him the alphabet at five years of age. John read the Epistle at the Divine Liturgy for the first time when he was seven years old. His early education and exposure to the life of the Church likely nurtured the desire for learning and love of the Orthodox faith that would characterize his adult life and ministry. At nine years old, John began his seminary training with the support of his uncle. While not as sociable as other students, John proved to be an excellent student with tremendous academic ability. In addition to his scholastic achievements, he also learned about clockmaking. His interest in practical, hands-on skills made him enormously resourceful during the course of his life. Upon the death of the beloved Bishop Benjamin of Irkutsk, the rector of the seminary gave John Popoff the bishop's surname as an honor. Later, aware of John's potential, the rector intended to send John to the Moscow Theological Academy for further study, but his plans were thwarted when John married Catherine, the daughter of a local priest, on April 29th of 1817. The marriage happened without the approval of the rector, occurring during a period of time when severe weather 
had temporarily prevented communication and travel between the seminary and the nearby monastery where the rector lived. Saint Innocent later recalled the significance of this episode of bad weather for his life, and we have an extended quote here. The rector had me in mind as a candidate for the academy, as he told me personally later on. As to why the rector did not stop my marriage, the answer is that he was in no position to do so, due to a rare incident that took place at the time. The Angara River, which separated the seminary from the bishop's residence, became impassable about the time I decided to marry. The river remained impassable for many days, and that gave me an opportunity to marry without the bishop's knowledge or his permission. If it had not been for this temporary isolation, I could not have been married at that time and therefore would have been sent to the academy instead of Alaska." Unquote. The story of Father John's marriage shows how God providentially works in our lives to accomplish his divine will for the benefit of ourselves and others, often without our present knowledge. Sometimes only in retrospect is the evidence of God's guidance in our lives clearly perceived. Soon after his marriage, John was ordained a deacon and completed the last of his 11 years of seminary training. Deacon John was ordained to the Holy Priesthood on May 18th of 1821. In 1823, Bishop Michael of Irkutsk received an order from the Ecclesiastical Administration in St. Petersburg, instructing him to find a priest to send to Alaska, but he failed to find a willing participant at first. Even a deacon chosen by lot refused to accept the mission. Fortunately, Father John Vinyaminov voiced his willingness to go. The bishop gave his blessing to Father John and circulated a letter to members of the consistory saying, and again we have an extended quote, by their answers they have revealed their shameful coldness toward the holy work of their heavenly calling and their lack of pure Christian love and faith, a lack of true, guileless, and burning zeal for the salvation of the souls entrusted to their care, souls purchased by the blood of the Savior of the whole world. They have forgotten the fear of God, and my pastoral admonition sent to all of them in 1821 in a printed letter. Of the many who were called, only one, a son of obedience, has been, to my spiritual joy, found chosen, the priest of the local church of the Annunciation, John Veniaminov Popov. He eagerly agreed to my summons to be sent on this most important mission." Unquote. Father John's decision to be a missionary sharply contrasted with his former mindset, unmoved by attempts to persuade him to go to Unalaska. He had once asked himself, quote, Indeed, how could I, why should I, humanly speaking, have traveled God knows where, when I had one of the best parishes in the city, when I enjoyed the love of my parishioners and the good graces of the authorities, when I already owned my own home and had a larger income than the salary being offered to whomever was assigned to Unalaska." Unquote. Saint Innocent offered himself as an example of the truth that each of us servants of his church is no more than an instrument in his hands 
since God saw fit to establish my field of ministry in America, and that despite my opposition. Father John traveled to the Aleutian Islands with his wife, his son Innocent, his mother, and his brother. They reached Onalaska, their new home, on July 29, 1824. As a result of the Orthodox missionary activity before him, Father John arrived on the island to an Orthodox community of 1,751 people, 42 Russians, 212 Creoles, and 1,497 Aleuts. Due to his extensive knowledge of construction, he built a pine church with the help of the Aleuts, whom he trained to practice the necessary trades. Father John crafted the Iconostasis and the Holy Table with his own hands. His zeal was evident not only in his words, but his physical labor. Father John invested considerable time studying the local language and the dialects of the Aleutian natives spread out several thousand miles across his expansive parish. He developed a written alphabet for the spoken Aleutian language and wrote multiple works, including the first Aleutian grammar book, a text entitled Showing the Way into the Kingdom of God, A Brief History of Christianity, A Dictionary of the Aleutian Fox Island Language, and Notes on the Island of Unalasta District, a sizable text containing valuable anthropological and scientific observations. He also translated a catechism and the Gospel of Matthew. Additionally, he translated part of the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. His tremendous respect for the local culture is evident from the way he taught the Orthodox faith to the native people. He intended to bring Orthodoxy deep into the culture to shape the culture, thereby making Orthodoxy part of indigenous culture, instead of aiming to replace the indigenous culture with the foreign Russian culture. Father John conscientiously strove to retain the positive aspects of their culture and reject only that which was completely incompatible with orthodoxy. By doing this, he helped the Aleuts take ownership of their new faith. When an aspect of Aleutian culture proved incompatible with the orthodox way of life, Father John guided the people through education and allowed them to realize the incompatibility. As a result of his wise pastoral approach, the people experienced spiritual formation and growth within the culture, instead of having another culture imposed upon them. Father John lived 10 years on Unalaska before being transferred to Sitka in 1834, where he worked among the Thlingits. As he had done with the Aleuts, Father John established a school and translated books into the native language. Besides enlightening them with the gospel, he taught them the different trades of smithing and carpentry, thereby providing the people useful practical skills. The Thlingits especially trusted Father John and listened to his message after he helped save them from the smallpox epidemic of 1836 by convincing them to accept smallpox vaccinations. Father John's actions as a missionary contributed to the preservation of human lives and native societies. Ushimaru described Father John's character and approach to missionary work with these words, quote, His 15 years of active missionary life, first in Unalaska, then in Sitka, were distinguished by the zeal that made famous the first teachers of the Gospels. 
He always went about his work with great care, and thereby drew to himself the rough hearts of the Indians. He would convince, but not argue, then patiently wait for their petition, asking for baptism." Unquote. In 1838, Father John traveled to St. Petersburg with his youngest daughter to present several mission-related concerns before the Holy Synod. His wife would take four of their children to Irkutsk. During his time in St. Petersburg, Father John was elevated to the rank of archpriest. While still in the city on his successful endeavor, he received the heartbreaking news that his wife Catherine had died in Irkutsk. Upon the urging of Metropolitan Philaret of Moscow, and after much consideration and prayer, Father John eventually submitted to embrace monasticism. The decision to become a monk came only after he endured a difficult period of tremendous inner struggle as he considered the needs of his beloved family, his ability to follow the monastic rule given his missionary lifestyle, and the belief that he could best serve his church as a monk. Father John finally accepted the monastic life after the Metropolitan secured from Tsar Nicholas permission to enroll his children in a school in St. Petersburg and ensured the children would enjoy imperial patronage and high-placed guardians. In 1840, a year after his wife's death, Father John was tonsured a monk and elevated to the rank of Archimandrite. He requested the name Innocent to honor the first bishop of Irkutsk. Soon after, Tsar Nicholas chose Archimandrite Innocent to be a bishop, a decision affirmed by the Holy Synod. He was consecrated on December 15, 1840, becoming Bishop Innocent of Kamchatka, the Kuril and Aleutian Islands. After his consecration, Bishop Innocent traveled 14,850 miles throughout his diocese by water and land. During one stretch of the trip, he recalled how he traveled over 3,300 miles by dog sled and reindeer. He also set out to organize his diocese, found a seminary to train native Alaskans to serve their people, and establish three new missionary districts in the heart of Alaska. About a decade after his consecration to the Episcopacy, Bishop Innocent was elevated to the rank of Archbishop. On May 28, 1868, following the death of Metropolitan Philaret of Moscow, he was appointed as Metropolitan of Moscow and Kolomna. As Metropolitan of Moscow, he continued to support the missionary effort, especially through the Russian Orthodox Mission Society that he founded. Saint Innocent of Alaska, the Apostle to America, left behind the instructions he gave to his missionaries, a text that reflects the approach that ultimately led to the success of the Orthodox missionary effort to which he dedicated his life. Quote, These instructions do not expect miraculous mass conversions, nor do they promise any kind of material, social, or political benefit for anyone. The goal or task of a missionary should be to convert the heart of man, and the method to be used is not force or any false representation, but only God's truth, difficult labor, patience, and again, personal example. Men's transformed hearts and their moral perfection are to be the goals of missionaries working with infants of the faith, 
and the final judgment upon this work belongs to God himself. Unquote. His ministry on earth flourished until his repose on March 31, 1879. Saint Innocent of Alaska was glorified as a saint on October 6 of 1977. What might Saint Innocent say to us today? Perhaps his life story offers clues. As Saint Innocent demonstrated, the missionary is called to maintain a pure heart while embodying a willingness to get his hands dirty with manual labor, condescending to work hard among the people, with the people, and for the people. The missionary's approach should always be practical and pastoral. The tools that will make our efforts effective differ according to each of us, but we should strive to gain valuable skills of various kinds, academic, scientific, mechanical, and use all our knowledge to the glory of God for the benefit of those we serve. Regarding the American context in particular, perhaps Saint Innocent would remind us of the essential goodness present within American culture. He might also instruct us to take the Orthodox faith to the American people in the American context using American language and customs, except those that contradict the Orthodox way, so that an authentically American Orthodox Church gains deep roots, maintains good health, and grows. As other cultures bear holy tradition, let American Orthodox believers learn how holy tradition is best carried and expressed within American culture. St. Innocent's life also shows us that the life of a missionary may include outward difficulty and inward struggle, affecting both his own soul and his family. But the path to salvation for the missionary, his family, and his people is the way of love, faith, compassion, prayer, obedience, devotion, trust, and perseverance within Christ's holy church. In 1867, the year before St. Innocent became Metropolitan of Moscow, the Alaskan territory was sold by Russia to the United States of America. Within half a century, Alaska's native populations, especially the more inland communities, were overwhelmingly Presbyterian. This dramatic cultural change was due largely to the efforts of one man, Sheldon Jackson. A missionary himself, he began his work amongst the native peoples in 1877, and by 1885, Jackson had become the general agent for the Bureau of Education in Alaska. While it is clear Jackson had a genuine concern for the well-being of the native people of Alaska, both spiritual and material, the schools he established, despite being federally funded, had a strong religious character which he believed was necessary in order to help the Alaskans to become assimilated members of the overwhelmingly Protestant, capitalist society of the United States. Students were taught English and American history rather than their own languages and customs, and the skills they were given were motivated by productivity rather than, as St. Innocent had intended, to give the people a concrete way to show their devotion to God. In spite of all this, Alaska remains, outside of large city centers with significant immigrant populations, one of the largest presences of orthodoxy in the United States by percentage. It is a testament to the peaceful and loving spirit of St. Innocent 
that in spite of the clear evidence the American missionaries would have little respect for the Orthodox culture he had helped to create in Alaska prior to their arrival, he saw the transition of Alaska to the USA as a significant opportunity to bring Orthodoxy throughout the continental Americas. We can share a selection of his letter, published in the book Orthodox Alaska, A Theology of Mission, by Michael Oleska, which he wrote to Oberprocurator of the Holy Synod shortly after the sale of Alaska to the United States. Rumor reaching me from Moscow purports that I wrote to someone of my great unhappiness about the sale of our colonies to the Americans. This is utterly false. To the contrary, I see in this event one of the ways of providence by which orthodoxy will penetrate the United States, where even now people have begun to pay serious attention to it. Were I to be asked about this, I would reply, Do not close the American diocese, even though the number of churches and missions there has been reduced by half, that is, five. Designate San Francisco rather than New Archangel, the residence of the bishop. The climate is incomparably better there, and communications with the colonial churches are just as convenient from there as from New Archangel, if not more so. Subordinate the diocese to the Bishop of St. Petersburg or some other Baltic diocese, for once the colonies have been sold to the American government, communications between the Amur and the colonies will end completely, and all communications between the headquarters of the diocese of Kamchatka and Alaska will be through St. Petersburg, which is completely unnatural. Return to Russia the present bishop and all the clergy at Sitka, except the readers and wardens, and appoint a new bishop from among those who know the English language. Likewise, his retinue ought to be composed of those who know English. Allow the bishop to augment his staff, transfer its members, and ordain to the priesthood for our churches converts to orthodoxy from among American citizens who accept all its institutions and customs. Allow the vicar bishop and all the clergy of the Orthodox Church in America to celebrate the liturgy and other services in English, for which purpose, obviously, the service books must be translated. To use English rather than Russian, which must be sooner or later replaced by English, in all instruction in the schools to be established in San Francisco and elsewhere to prepare people for ordination and missionary work. St. Innocent welcomed the possibilities that the sale of Alaska represented for the growth of the Orthodox Church in the New World, despite the reduction in the number of clergy in Alaska after the sale. He did not foresee any widespread apostasy nor the decline of the Church after the transfer, but predicted its growth years before he, as founder of the Orthodox Missionary Society, would be in a position to support the Alaskan mission again. His optimism about the future of orthodoxy in America was grounded in his decades of experience among native and Creole Christians in Alaska. He knew that the church was firmly established among them, and could therefore confidently recommend that the diocesan headquarters be moved to California. As Metropolitan of Moscow, Innocent implemented his plan, approving the transfer of the American Sea to San Francisco, and appointed 
an English-speaking bishop there before his death in 1879. Bishop Nestor, who later drowned during a second pastoral visit to Alaska in 1882, spoke several foreign languages, and his successor, Bishop Vladimir, celebrated services and preached in English, commemorating the President of the United States instead of the Russian imperial family. He insisted that his priests learn and serve in English as well. St. Innocent's goal of providing translations of Orthodox services in English was partially realized with the publication of the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom in 1876. In fact, Bishop Vladimir was able to carry out much of St. Innocent's program, visiting immigrant communities in New York, Chicago, Detroit, New Orleans, and San Francisco, as well as touring the Alaskan Diocese three times and re-establishing a pastoral school at San Francisco, where Alaskan clergy were trained. During a visit to the nation's capital, Bishop Vladimir was received by the President of the United States and reported to him directly on conditions in Alaska. We would like to finish this episode by reading the first pastoral address St. Innocent gave after his enthronement as the Metropolitan of Moscow on the 26th of May in the year 1868. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus the apostles were accustomed, according to the commandment of the Lord, to greet the churches, and thus also the pastors of the church, following their example, greeted their flocks when entering into spiritual communion with them. By the same law, I also, their most unworthy successor, am emboldened to greet you with these very same words, my brethren, and henceforward, beloved brethren and children in the Lord, entering as I am into communion with you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But who am I daring to take upon myself the voice and authority of my predecessors? A disciple of a distant age, of a distant region, and one who has passed more than half his life in a still more distant land. One, but a humble laborer on a small field of Christ's a teacher of infants in faith. And is it for the least of laborers to become a laborer in a great, glorious, and ancient vineyard of Christ? Is it for such a teacher to instruct a fold which sends its teachers and instruction, ay, teachers of teachers, to all the ends of Russia? True it is that I might well say the same in every other place to which I might have been called, but the gravity of the question is enhanced in this case by the fact after whom I am placed here. Who was my predecessor, and who am I? No comparison can be made here, or every comparison will be far from advantageous to me, in some respects, against me. I understood all the weight and sadness, bitterness of such comparisons, natural, unavoidable, most just comparisons. They are not idle talk. I understood also how elevated, how difficult are the duties of this position, and it behooves me, consequently, to decline, at least I might have declined this honor, having besides a visible motive for doing so. But who am I to oppose God, our Heavenly Father, without whose will not even a hair on our head may fall? Who am I to contradict the earthly king whose heart is in the hand of God? 
Nay, I said to myself, Let what the Lord wills be with me. I will go whither I am ordered, and lo, I am come. Bless me then, O Lord, to enter upon my work. Lord, I am thine, and I will be thine forever and everywhere. Do thou with me as thou willest in this life and in the life to come, that I may become here but a simple instrument in thy hands. O most holy lady, mother of God, my aid, do not deprive me here of thy help, protection, intercession, and prayers. Ye saints of Christ, Peter, Alexis, Jonas, and Philip, and all ye saints resting here, receive me into your prayers, me your most unworthy successor. Brethren and fathers, most especially you illustrious teachers and fathers, it was not such an unlettered archpriest it behooved you to have, but bear with me in Christ's love. Receive me into your family prayers. More especially pray that false doctrine and carnal wisdom may not creep into the midst of orthodoxy on account of my ignorance. I pray ye all, brethren and children, pray for me, a sinner. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Once again, I would like to thank Dr. Darren for allowing me to guest host, and thank Father Simeon Keyes for the gracious use of his paper on St. Innocent. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on whatever service you use to listen to the podcast. This helps the podcast reach more people who may be edified by these lives of the Christian saints. All music in this and every other episode of the Christian Saints podcast has been composed by myself, James John Marks. You can find my work at Generative Sounds, jjm.bandcamp.com. We will conclude this episode of the podcast with the troparion, which is sung on the feast day of St. Innocent. You evangelized the northern people of America and Asia, proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the natives in their own tongues. O holy hierarch, Father Innocent, enlightener of Alaska and all America, whose ways were ordained by the Lord, pray to him for the salvation of our souls in his heavenly kingdom. <laughs>